Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Squat Cobbler, episode 72, the long-awaited live album episode. I'm Mike at Official Pagan on Everything, and joining me as always... Hi, everybody. This is Kelly at K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L on Twitter and Instagram. Now, Kelly, we've talked about live albums a lot, and we've talked about doing this show a number of times on past Squat Cobbler episodes. Going into it, I have to be honest, so we we set ourselves five albums we're going to do. This was a lot harder than I thought. I really like live albums when they're done right. I think, unfortunately, sometimes live albums can just be a stopgap or a quick cash grab for a band. But when it's done right, I, I almost prefer live albums to studio albums sometimes. And we've discussed a lot with Alice Cooper how sometimes the live version of a song can really elevate your appreciation of a good song that maybe was, particularly in Alice's instance, maybe a, a little too sanitized. And you get a little more of that edge that you get with a live show out of it. Uh, was it difficult for you to narrow it down to five? It was helpful to limit it to five because <laughs> it helped me kind of narrow the focus a little bit. I do think, so my prediction going into this is there will only be one common album between the two of us. Um, I would say none. Oh, we'll see. I'm going to bet we got one. <laughs> well, we'll see. so I personally don't, if you mean Fistful of Alice, I don't think we should include Fistful of Alice on our list. Well, then you're messing me up. <laughs> because <laughs> we we both discussed Fistful of Alice so much that I, I think, you know, we should strike like Fistful of Alice, as far as I'm concerned, is like the squat cobbler gold standard of live albums. So I almost feel like that shouldn't be included. So that's the problem. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine if you did. I actually excluded it from my list, though, because I feel like I've talked about it so much that I think everybody's very clear on my my stance on that being an incredible live record. Okay, so that, that works out because then we can establish that Kelly's the true Alice Cooper fan and he'll have it on his list. <laughs> kind of high on his list, by the way. <laughs> so, I would... I would hope so as much as we've talked about it i guess i'll kick things off with my number five then uh it's not fistful of alice <laughs> which i get to say for all five not fistful of alice because again i excluded that because i feel like i've talked about it so much you guys know that i love that album and that's going to kind of be one of the standards that i used in comparing other things to this if you were a betting man kelly going into this list were you going to say i think mike's number five is going to be indie feminist icon annie defranco oh yeah absolutely <laughs> so obviously i love my feminist folk her double album living in clip which came out in the 90s i think one of the best live albums ever made a great standard for what a live album should be it's sourced from multiple shows which i have mixed feelings about i think my early exposure to live albums was mostly sourced from multiple shows and then later i i have a real appreciation that grew and you'll see on this list a little little further up of a single show sourced live record and how i feel like that adds to the overall ambiance and stuff but this was sourced from multiple shows and varying size shows from like smaller coffee house performances to playing to big halls filled with people later in her career around that time when she was, was hitting sort of her commercial peak. I believe this was her first record. might be only, I'm not positive, but it was her first record to go gold. Uh, she She's an indie folk artist, so, you know, not tons and tons of commercial stuff there. But at the time, uh, around the time she was touring prior to this record coming out, she had put out a studio record that got really popular. 
mostly because in mainstream music at that time there were there was sort of uh, female centric rock angry rock music was starting to really pick up steam so uh, her stuff as a result of that she didn't really like change her sound or try and cash in on that but because that was already popular her stuff sort of started getting more attention and she put out a really great record called dilate which at some point will be a prisoner exchange after dilate came out she put out this double live record which i think is really great and a lot of it's a folk record so a lot of it's kind of you know stripped down guitar vocals uh there's bass and drums on some of the tracks as well just really great live performance a really great way to put something together and if you're a fan of physical packaging the physical package that this was initially released with included um, not just the CD insert, but a photo book of photos from various tours and stuff like that. So it was a really cool actual physical package to hold in your hands as well as you were listening to the live record. And it gave you more of a feeling. Uh, I always think of this as something in conjunction with the physical packaging because it gave you more of a feeling of a, a more immersive feel, I guess, would be the, the best way to articulate that. So what's your number five, Kelly? Please say Annie DeFranco. It was super close, <laughs> but no. <laughs> so if our squaddies can listen back one episode ago, <laughs> they, they will all hear the Mike back. and I just all the way back one week ago to <laughs> Welcome to the Club by Ian Hunter. That's command number five. I just really think from a capturing the enjoyment of a live performance, Welcome to the Club does a fantastic job. And there's a tremendous amount of stuff for it. There's this kind of weirdness that occurs on side four where there's some studio stuff, but it's an incredibly strong album. And you heard Mike and I talk at length on the previous Squat Cobbler. So number five for me is actually Welcome to the Club by Ian Hunter. So while I'm newly introduced to that, as you guys know from last week, that is a really great choice. So number four for me, this is really the album that made this list difficult to put together for me. There's a lot of really great live records that I really enjoy from bands that I, I have a strong affinity for that did not make this list. And this band did. <laughs> because if I'm being truly objective, I need to put this on here, despite my overall feelings of their catalog. So are you an Aerosmith guy, Kelly? No. Neither am I. However, <laughs> so I always kind of sum it up for people... Uh, so I, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, our mutual friend Vex talk about the Rolling Stones. Yeah, Vex is a man of many opinions. So he, uh, in talking about the Rolling Stones, he he kind of sums them up by saying, you know, the Rolling Stones have written like 10 or 12 of the greatest rock songs of all time. And he's like, but, and that sounds amazing until you realize they've written like a thousand songs. So <laughs> statistically, they're not doing so great. My feeling on Aerosmith, their first few records were really good. But I feel like if you really boil it down, there's like a few good songs on each one. And I was sort of jokingly sort of in a similar vein to what Vex says about the Rolling Stones. I always say like, I feel like Aerosmith made one really amazing record and they were like, listen, we can put this out and it'll be a legendary album or we can break these songs up over multiple albums and pad them out with filler and have a career out. Of it. That's kind of how I see Aerosmith. This was the hardest thing, as I already mentioned, to put on this because there's a lot of bands that I really love who have really strong live records and had this been a 10 album list, 15 album list, they would have, or 20 album list, they, they would have been on there. Aerosmith would have been, this was so hard for me to put on there. Cause again, not really a fan. Their video game was fun that they had in the nineties, the revolution X video game, but that's, that's the most I can say positive about Aerosmith. What I will say though, is I love what they did with their first live album, live bootleg. And it's very ironic. Because their approach to live bootleg was 
there was live records at the time this came out live records were very popular there were a lot of bands putting out these big glossy double live records and they were selling really well so of course Aerosmith's record label wanted them to put out a live album but they didn't want to do what everybody else was doing so instead of doing these glossy you know largely touched up after and post-production in the studio they took you know very raw sounding performances intentionally including some performances that had mistakes in them just to emphasize what live is really supposed to be that it's supposed to be about the energy and the feel of the songs and not about you know the most polished or making it sound like the studio recording they even went as far as to actually take a couple of tracks from a radio performance and instead of using the actual like in studio recording from the radio performance they used recordings from a cassette tape recorded from the radio broadcast itself so that it actually is significantly lower quality than anything else that's on the record and then they packaged it in a way to make it look intentionally like a bootleg record instead of to look like an official release from Aerosmith from their record label ironically Aerosmith has released many many live albums after this in fact if you look at compilations and live albums they have more of those than they actually have studio albums in their catalog and all of those live records that came afterwards are heavily heavily touched up after the fact in post-production very glossy very fake so the irony is that in creating a, a true live album that is about cre- recreating the concert experience instead of recreating something that's sanitized and fake they never did that again themselves <laughs> so their own commentary quickly became lost on them on this this is an early record in their catalog their own commentary on rock and roll was lost on them themselves uh but i do love what they did with this record i really i this was one of my first exposures to aerosmith i thought i would really like them (laughs) because of that and knowing the story behind the record and like i said really tough to put on this list for me but this is what a live record's supposed to be it's not supposed to be necessarily flawless you get and again intentionally using performances with flaws in them you get the experience of a live show. And I thought that that was really cool. For my number four, Joe Jackson's Big World. Maybe we um, do have crossover, Kelly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Unlikely. So there's like an amazing amount of interesting things about Big World. It was actually recorded in front of a live audience. Joe makes a point to say, I did not tell the audience not to clap, but they, this is all new stuff. And so there was like this silence. So this was Joe and his band playing in front of a live audience, all mic'd up, incredible quality, but you don't hear any crowd reaction whatsoever. But Big World is an amazing album, three sides. So it was released as a double album, but there's music on three sides and the four sides did. There's nothing here. But this is some incredibly amazing music. Precious Time, Shanghai Sky, Soul Kiss, Tango Atlantico, and the Jet Set, which is kind of a mildly anti-American kind of thing going on. The sound quality is amazing. And if you have not heard Big World before, it's fantastic. Right and Wrong, highly kind of politically charged thing is super cool as well. Very nice. So my number three, so far, no crossover. Um, I don't think we're going to get that. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, so my number three is live from Allison Chains. Uh, I always liked Allison Chains. A lot of people, I think, would, if they were doing a live album list, uh, Allison Chains has a very famous live album, their unplugged album from their MTV special that they did. 
was very, very commercially successful. It was also one of the last performances of their original singer, Lane Staley, before he passed away. Well, one of the last performances with the band. He passed away a few years after that. That's what most people would go with. It's a very, very strong performance sourced from a single show. I'm actually choosing to go with their uh, compilation live record. They came out after that. That's just called Live. The reason that I'm choosing that is they're, again, going similar to the Aerosmith thing. There's interesting moments on the album that you're not going to get in a studio recording or in something that was like a TV special, like their Unplugged album. That was, you know, very, it's an excellent performance on the Unplugged record, but it's very, very rehearsed because they knew it was going to be a TV special. So it's a near perfect recording and nearly perfect rehearsed thing. Whereas this live record, they made some interesting choices <laughs> in how they went about it. Um, it does have the hits on it like you'd expect. Uh, they actually pulled some stuff from their final performances with Lane Staley to put on there prior to his death. And they also chose some some less than perfect moments to emphasize the live elements of it. So they were having some rough interactions with a particularly unruly crowd in the South. Uh, so they at one point play a largely improvised song that has never appeared on anything else. Like there was no studio recording of it or anything of them mocking people from the South at a show <laughs> to antagonize the audience that they were already at odds with. So they included that recording on the live album. Uh, there's another moment on it where the band was partying pretty hard and are very, very drunk and put on a drunken sloppy show. <laughs> And included a track from that. Just so it's it's a very interesting sort of look at a live show and creates a cool, again, source for multiple shows, but creates a cool look into what you might get. There's a few, you know, straightforward, near perfect performances of a couple of their hits. And then, you know, a song that they made up on the spot to intentionally antagonize an audience or a super drunk, sloppy rendition of another song. So to me, that's really cool, though. Those are those kind of moments that you can only get in a live environment. And it's cool to have them captured on an album. Solid plan. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's that's one of those cool things that, you know, you would only know if you were there. So it's cool to have that that moment captured on an album. I'm going to move to number my number three, which is Peter Gabriel plays live. The very cool part of this is I actually... Somewhere through sides one through three, I was there, <laughs> which is very, very cool. Peter Gabriel on the solo tour doing some amazing things. Side four is really exclusively recorded at Kansas City, so I'm not there for that. But on sides one through three, I could be there for some of that. And we, we've talked a little bit about like Feed My Frankenstein from Alice, where there's lots of stuff going on and you don't. You know, if you've not actually seen it, you don't kind of get it and appreciate it. This translates very, very well. The first two tracks are The Rhythm of the Heat and I Have the Touch, which when you're there is amazing to see where you've got the band coming out playing drums for Rhythm of the Heat. And I have the touch, Peter reaching out to the crowd. This is the kind of whole Peter Gabriel canon. They do have a song called Ico Swimming which has not been on any Peter Gabriel album included on this, which is a fantastic song. So th this is where, again, the list gets very, very difficult for me. There are bands, some of my favorite bands that aren't included in here, who made what I would consider classic live records like Black Sabbath 
and you know to not include them on the list was really difficult for me they're one of my favorite bands they've made a couple of live records that i think are great it would have been even difficult for me to to choose which live record should be included so this made the top part of the list and the aerosmith choices really really difficult but because i'm not an aerosmith fan but again that record to me represents what a live album is supposed to be and it was cool the way that they had put that together so it sucks to not be able to include some of my favorite artists on here. But again, I, I want it to be as objective as possible and sort of include what, what I think are the best examples of live records. So for my number two, uh, I went with Nine Inch Nails and did not include their widely released live record. So they made a, a double live album called All That Could Have Been. And it's what you'd expect from a live record from a big, successful stadium touring band. It's all of their hits, everything you'd expect, you know, big, polished production. It sounds incredible. It's it's called for multiple shows. So it's, you know, perfect audience reactions and things like that. So in conjunction with that, they released a second album that they released. You could get it packaged with all that could have been as like a box set version of it. Or later you could get it on its own. And it's an album called Still. And Still is the one that I, I chose for my list. Still. The band, after doing the big, you know, arena rock live record that they're expected to make of a band of that level, they went into a studio similar to your Ian Hunter <laughs> uh, choice. They went into a studio and played live and but played very raw, stripped down versions of some of their songs, as well as a couple of new songs that they wrote specifically for that recording session. And what's really cool about it is even on the the songs that you might be familiar with that are if you're a fan of the band that are on there there's there's a great the stripped down feel a lot of it's piano vocals acoustic guitar and then there's some like keyboards and things like that later in the record doing it stripped down like that it's much more atmospheric there there's a almost ambient quality to the instrumental parts in it and it actually you could make a direct correlation from this particular recording to what the band went on to do after that largely they now of course largely score films which they've won a lot of praise and accolades and even awards for including an academy award for their score for the social network so all of that you can directly tie back to this because directly after doing still which is they have said themselves one of their favorite projects and their preferred live record of the two that came out back to back, even though it was recorded in a, it's live, but live in a studio directly after that, they ended up doing an ambient record inspired by the sort of atmospheric sounds that they got on this record. And that ambient record is directly what led to them getting jobs, scoring films, which is primarily what they do now. So number two, nine inch nails still. So gang, this again is where we clearly establish that Kelly is a true Alice Cooper fan. Fistful of Alice is my number two. We have talked at length of how awesome we love this album. This is from a live perspective. This is Alice at his pinnacle. You've got Slash. I get, totally get, and Mike said, I'm going to take this out of the equation. You know, again, being the true Alice Cooper fan between the two of us, I'd have to include it. I'm going to include Fistful of Alice as my number two, because from a live album perspective, I don't know how you get better than this. So before I, I, I get to my number one, I would argue that I'm the true Alice Cooper fan because I love Fistful of Alice. I love Alice and Fistful of Alice particularly so much. It transcends my list. It doesn't even need to be said. 
because everything else would technically, for me, come after this. But that's cool. Make Alice your number two. Real fan, air quotes. So my number one, this was a weird one because first off, there's bound to be <laughs> someone would could say that maybe this is a biased choice. I disagree. I have never shown any bias in anything. I think Kelly can attest to that. Uh, there, there's no bias in this whatsoever. I do have one quibble with this record though, which I'll get to. The key, it's, it would be nearly perfect if they made one, it would be a perfect album if they made one minor change to it. It's still my favorite live record, but one minor change, it would be a perfect album. So that is Appetite for Democracy from Guns N' Roses. So Guns N' Roses, if you're not familiar with the band, don't have an extensive catalog of music. For a band that has been around since the year I was born, and I'm a 36-year-old man, they do not have a vast catalog of music. In fact, they have three proper full-length studio records to their name in nearly four decades. There's also a few EPs and some soundtrack stuff that they've done, but they do not have an extensive catalog of music. At the end of the 90s, the band was sort of in disarray. Uh, they had released their second full-length studio album in the early 90s, toured extensively behind it because they had put a lot of time and money into it. So they they toured behind it for a number of years at the request of their record company, the insistence, you could say, of their record company. And then they, they took some time off, and when they came back to regroup, tensions between the band caused some rifts and some... uh some some lineup changes before they could get things really underway for what would become their third studio record years later. While that was going on, they were contractually obligated to deliver a live record. And because it was very clear after the, the long gap, after the second record to properly tour and promote the record as the record label saw it, and then, you know, lineup changes and all that. And given that, you know, in the more than decade prior to that, they had only managed two full-length records, it was clear to the record company that it was going to be a little while before the third record materialized. They were correct in that. So they, they decided to exercise their, their contractual obligation for a live record. That initial live record is called Live Era. And that is not my choice for it. I was actually a little bit disappointed in it because I love live records. Uh, I'm a fan of Guns N' Roses. No bias whatsoever. I'm a fan of that band. I love live records. I was a little bit disappointed in it because it was a contractual obligation thing. I don't think it was the absolute best product that they could have put forward. Uh, they chose, they sourced it despite what it says on the cover. The cover claims that it was sourced from shows over like a 10 or 12 year period. It's almost entirely from like two shows that, that had happened on their, their most recent tour. The majority, I would say, of the tracks on that were previously released in some form. Uh, specifically the stuff from the two shows uh, had appeared in a concert documentary film. And then some of the other tracks that were on there were were B-sides and things like that on singles. So a lot of it was previously released. It was largely sourced from like two shows, even though it claimed not to be. So I, I just wasn't a huge fan of that. And then, of course, they're not known for their particularly fast pace in the way that they release things. So it was quite a while before anything else came out from the band. Uh, they did release another studio record. And sometime after this, they had shot a concert film and recorded a live album from that concert film which due to issues with the record label was shelved for a while. It did eventually come out though. And the concert film version of it was released theatrically. And then the DVD and live album actually uh, hit number one on Billboard. And they won a bunch of awards for it, technical awards for it. 
this is everything that I wanted their first live record to be. It is nearly perfect. It is a great, re- it's sourced from a single show. They were doing a residency at the Hard Rock and this is sourced from one show, which completely changed my outlook on live albums from taking the approach initially that you should source for multiple shows to get the best performances. To me, if you've never seen Guns N' Roses live, their shows are very long. They usually do like 25 to 30 songs. You're looking at a two and a half to three hour long set. Very minimal audience interaction. They're you know all business when they get up on stage. And to get, particularly with the, the live film version of it, and this is my one quibble with the album that came out of it, in order to fit it onto two discs for the physical release onto two CDs, they cut a few songs because I believe it's like 27, 28 tracks, something like that, that they played live. And on the double live album, it's like 23 or 24. So there's a handful of songs that are cut to fit it onto two discs. I would have preferred, and I know I understand why it's a cost thing, <laughs> you know, trying to keep consumers in mind with that but i would have preferred that they stretched out to three discs so you could get absolutely everything that was played at that show because it was an incredible performance what i like not only that it was sourced from a single show so you really get the experience of having been at that show there is very little tampering with it whatsoever just some audio level stuff to make sure you get the best sound quality but there's like nothing fixed it on it or anything like that and What I always like about Guns N' Roses live shows is I think that they do a great job of sort of mixing up the set list. You get the hits that you're expecting. And again, they don't have a vast catalog of stuff to pull from, but you get sort of the hits that that you're expecting. But then for for the casual fans, but then for the more hardcore fans, they pull out some, you know, album tracks. And then for the really, really hardcore fans, you tend to get, you know, some obscure stuff, maybe something from a side project or a solo record some interesting covers thrown in there and you get all of that on this record. You get some lesser known songs, you get some covers, you get some solo project and sidetrack things along with the hits that you'd expect. My only minor quibble that keeps it from being perfect is you don't technically get the entire show, even though it was sourced from one show because the show was about three hours long. So they wanted to keep it on the two discs. You can get the video version of the concert film version of it though, which includes the entire performance including the songs that were cut from the CD. What's your number one, sir? If I had to guess, I'm going to say Cypress Hill Live at the Fillmore. Not bad. (laughs) Raw. (laughs) Another one that was like Aerosmith, Cypress Hill. (laughs) Little Feet, Waiting for Columbus. That is not what I would have guessed. Yeah. Never would have gotten that. This may have been, this may be a prisoner exchange down the road. This is from a live album perspective. I'm a big, I love Little Feet, particularly Little Feet with Lil George. And this is that. It's a double album set. And you get Dixie Chicken, you get Willin, you get O Atlanta. And it's amazing, amazing live album. Incredibly entertains you. So Waiting for Columbus by Little Feet from the very, very start where you get kind of this intro into Join the Band, rolling into Fat Man in the Bathtub. Fantastic stuff. They're tremendously talented folks. Very nice. I never would have guessed that. I'm not really familiar with Little Feet. Yeah, so we'll we'll probably do that at a prisoner exchange at some point. <laughs> So that's good. I mean, the much-anticipated live show discussion has completed. To be noted, one person mentioned Alice and one person did not. One person felt that Alice is elevated above everything. (laughs) Fair enough. But this was really, really tough, especially with the Aerosmith thing. But again, I I genuinely do think that's one of the best live albums ever put out. 
it was tough though because I love Black Sabbath. They have great live records. Dave Allen Coe has great live records. Mayhem oh. has great live records. There, there was a lot of cool stuff to pull from. And then I put Aerosmith on there. But if I'm being objective, even though I'm not an Aerosmith fan, that is an excellent live record. And you don't like Alice, so that's good. <laughs> so <laughs> again, I, I just felt that you know it didn't need to be said that that's above everything. So hopefully, and Squatty's out there, you know, have like a ton of stuff you can listen to. All right. Well, we will, uh, we'll be back. Uh, I don't know what we'll be doing next. We'll see. <laughs> uh, uh, uh.